Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Motorsports 2023 F1 season preview. I'm Joe Dunn and I'm joined today by not one, two, but three of our esteemed F1 writers. Uh, Mark Hughes, our um, Grand Prix editor. Hello. Uh, Johnny Herbert, our uh, F1 columnist. Yes, hello as well. <laughs> and uh, and James Elson, our um, our staff writer. Uh, and we're going to be um, uh, chewing the uh, cud, shooting the breeze, and analysing uh, a great season, a massive season, a 23 race season um, that we're looking forward to uh, for the rest of the year. So let's dive in uh, straight away and ask um, Mark, what are you particularly looking forward to when the cars line up uh, uh, in Bahrain uh, uh, later later on? The big hope is that we've got um, at least two teams, preferably three teams, um, with nothing between them at the front. Um, it was, you know, a, a season of dominance last year, which is, I don't mind really. I don't think it, you know it, each season's different, isn't it? So, um, but it would be fantastic if we had a competitive Red Bull, Mercedes, Ferrari, and um, if they were separated by a tenth between the three of them. That, that would be the dream, but uh, let's see. I'm going to agree because we spoke about this last year, thinking we were going to have a three-way battle and it sort of didn't quite materialise. started off, Ferrari were looking good, that sort of petered off, and then the domination of Red Bull was cool, and then Mercedes didn't sort of get it together. But yeah, yeah I hope, I hope that everybody else, Ferrari and uh, Mercedes, have well, sorted it the, out. The sort, you'd, you'd think... Just logically, I mean, the real world always just destroys any pre-season logic, usually, doesn't it? But the, you'd, you'd think that there's more low-hanging fruit, certainly for Mercedes and maybe for Ferrari as well from their power unit, than there is for Red Bull, because you know they, they'd got it so right by the second half of last season. So you'd think for the Mercedes, although there were lots of symptoms of the, of the car that weren't good, they seem, when you talk to them, they all seem to come from the same source. So if they understood that and they can attend to that, you'd think they should be somewhere close. And for Ferrari, they were saying that post-Baku, after those power unit failures, Mm -hmm. they were running in quite significantly detuned form and that that's fixed now, though therefore they can dial it back up. So they're, again, more low-hanging fruit, potentially. So, I would say, it's probably, it's probably rubbish. Well, well, you remember, uh, there's been some rumours recently as well, isn't it? 30, 30 horsepower. horsepower. Yeah. yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> I think, they, they, I think they, they were saying that's how much they detuned it by. So, uh, I think what they're getting at is that we're not... It, it's a very sensitive subject, isn't it? Sure. Because, you, you, in theory, you can't do... Um, performance developments, but you can do reliability developments. But of course, if it's more reliable, you can run it harder. Um, but I think what thirty horsepower, my yeah, that is I, true. I, I, that's that's. I think big. yeah, they 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 were they they were implying that they were 
sort of two tenths short after Baku because they they had to protect the Ur's H. Um, and I think that's been translated as well. That's about 30 horsepower, then, isn't it? But it's it, it's not really like that with a hybrid unit because it's it's about where the power is and where you fill it in with the electrics and all, and all that. So it's maybe not 30 horsepower, but it it will I think be significantly better than it was post Baku. Pre Baku, of course, it was clearly the the fastest engine, the best engine. But of course, it, not much point of that if it doesn't last. <laughs> Well, and I suppose it's not just reliability for Ferrari. I mean, there's there's been changes at the top. There's been the team morale, uh, team organisation, and in a, in a strange way, you'd expect Mercedes almost was the inverse of Ferrari when it came last season. In the sense that Mercedes had a had problems with their car, but made the most of it. Ferrari had a very good car, but conspired through strategy errors and reliability for it not quite to work. Out. Do you think those things will even out in 2023? Um, that that would be the hope. There's, you know, there's still potential for things to to go wrong at, at, at both those teams. You know, it's it's not inconceivable that Mercedes hasn't properly nailed the the, the the root problem. It's conceivable that Ferrari hasn't properly nailed the reliability problems or the strategy problems. So you know, it, it's it's still up in the air, and I think that's why this is always such a a fascinating point of the year where you're thinking how is it going to be because it you know once it's happened once it becomes the norm very quickly um if there's like a shock of you know suddenly like 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 last year just how quick that ferrari was at the start of the year that wasn't really expected and and but it became the norm very quickly for the first half of the year that was the fastest car but you know i yeah who knows i don't know (laughs) well i hope it's a positive because all the strategy calls they had last year the ones that were obvious for people sort of sitting in their chair watching it on tv what are you doing they knew it was wrong and then bonotto in his ways unfortunately i i think when he sort of came in front of a tv said no we still you know stick with our strategy and it was it was correct and you're going yeah what? i think it so, was but that's something that has got to be now different with with fred vasseur he's got to yeah. take hold of that and make sure that they are on on top of it that's what he's up against someone like red bull Merck, who are very much always on top of it they very, they don't make many mistakes yeah and i think on the one hand matteo bonotto was trying to protect the team publicly yeah Um, yeah, i think it's very hard thing to protect it when it's so obviously going wrong and especially when we're at france at that grand prix there there was the 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 radio communication we had with carlos saints for example after charles had had his uh, issue um and then there was a break Mm -hmm. to try and sort it and they just carried on doing exactly the same thing. So that's where yeah. Fred has got to change the mindset. And he, Fred was talking about it in his first fr- media session as a, as Ferrari boss, yeah. and uh, he's saying that you know he, he just he's he's only been there a couple of weeks, so he's seeking to get a proper understanding of exactly what was behind each of those decisions. And the point he makes is that um, the communication it was is probably. Um, not ideal. The, the 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 channels of communication. It sounds as like he was saying there's an awful lot of people piling in with their ideas, and they're not always the same ideas. <laughs> and they, you know, it needs it needs someone that is. You know. Yeah, but it also got to a point, I think, is where you had their driver deciding with his engineer the strategy. 
in that summit they can't yeah, carry on and what why i say that from a driver's perspective they've got to take the pressure off of char yeah. max lewis george sergio the teams try to relieve them of the other external pressures that are there but because it's ferrari yeah. there's all the other pressures that are there and they've got to relieve their drivers of that and that's something hopefully and that, Fred that can goes do. back a long time i mean we used to hear fernando alonso calling yeah. the strategy because I remember once when they, they, they'd call him in, he said, why are we coming in now? And they said, for the undercut. He said, he's three seconds up the road. We're not going to get undercut with this level of tight egg. And they said, oh, yeah, stay out. So, you know, that was, yeah. that was ages ago. That's Fernando Alonso. Here. We heard, used to hear Sebastian Vettel do it. Um, we heard Carlos Sainz do it a few times last year. Yeah. Um, we've seen Lewis. We've heard Lewis yeah. do the same thing, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That's it so much from, from Max, strangely enough. Yeah. That seems to be, maybe he's, got, he's, he's just in a sort of a better situation at the time. So, but it's things like that that Ferrari, for our sake, have got to really get a hold of that. And you're right, Fred is in the very early stages of his, of his time there, but his background's very, very strong. So hopefully that will come and pay dividends. Yeah, I mean, I, I would come back, obviously, talk about the drivers. Uh, anyway, we haven't mentioned Red Bull in all of this. I hear Christian Horner already saying that they may have suffered from their wind tunnel penalty hangover from the previous years. How do you think they're going to come out of the blocks in, in, in Bahrain? Oh, I'd be amazed if they were anything other than super strong. You know, it's it's they're, they're not just got the, the advantage of momentum. You know, the, the, that that concept of car, obviously very right, um, but they're just a super super efficient team. And yeah, of course, they, they've got taken two hits on the the wind tunnel time, one with a position in the constructors' championship, and and, and one with the the the, um, the penalty for the the cost cap breach. But it's still. It's, I don't think that's going to make a night and day difference. It will, it will for sure be different. It will make a difference, and for sure, it, they will, you know, the way they, they they convert tunnel time to lap time, it, it, it's pretty pretty amazing, really. But so there will be an effect. But I think they're just too good to to to, to write off as as um, a super competitive force. And I think it probably won't harm them much at all. You know, the CFD is probably the most prominent, strongest tool that they have. A wind tunnel, wind tunnel in many respects is a bit of a checker before it goes onto the car. That's, it's not really the wind tunnel that does all the work. It's the CFD, and that hasn't changed. That's interesting, isn't it? And, and, and just on Red Bull, I suppose, how, how do you think that the uh, loss of Metashits is going to uh, affect the team? I mean, it's such a strong team, as you mentioned, Mark, and he was kind of integral to it in the way that he sort of let them get on with it but I guess he was a presence always there I just wonder whether that will affect how they operate that's a very interesting long-term question because his management style is hugely respected now and enormously popular but within the team but his management style as you say was very much right I put my lieutenants in place and I leave them to it and I just provide a budget and they are the good people that know how to and that's why the team is it's a very simple team it's not really in, in the way that it's laid and structured it's, it's like a big F3 team really it's, it's nothing nothing very complicated and structured I think that's partly why it works so well um, he's been replaced by two people um, with each with the responsibilities have been divided up and we, we don't you know, they're not from Formula One, they're from other parts of the Red Bull Empire, so we don't really know how that dynamic is going to work and, and whether there it, you know, it, it changes something important. We don't know yet. 
Yeah, and I, I think with, with the loss of Matashits, I think, like you say, Mark, with the, the new team that they've got, but they had a really good synergy with, with, uh, with Matashits, and I think that synergy is only going to carry on and I think that won't affect the team in any in any shape or form. So the strength of them is is going to be what we've seen in the you know in the last sort of couple of years, and that will that will continue for sure. Um, so just want to quickly sort of run through some of the um, some of the other teams then, and, and especially the, the mid table. And I guess the key question is whether that fourth fifth team, um, Alpine, McLaren, can they make the jump? Into the top three and make it a make it a four-way fight. Who talked about a three-way fight? I mean, uh, which is mo most likely, and 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 how how could they potentially do it? I think, uh, for me, Alpine. I think they've probably got the the ingredients to sort of improve on what they had last year. Reliability is going to be a big a big thing they need to clear up. If they can do that, then we know they would have been much much further down the road as far as being further away from McLaren but closer to the to the top three. I think there's been a lot of movement behind the scenes as well. I've heard there's a lot of people gone from Mercedes, for example, have moved across. So that experience hopefully is going to pay dividends as well. The two drivers, um, Esteban Ocon and of course Pierre Gasly, I think is going to be a positive thing because I think both drivers will be able to sort of push each other's limits but then it's down to the team itself to be able to produce the car that will actually give them that opportunity. Um, and I do believe that they are probably in the slightly stronger position compared to, to McLaren. We're going to have to wait and see how that uh, McLaren can sort of get that next level or two levels that we need. Because you're right, to try and get another team in that mix of the top, top three teams would be absolutely brilliant. I think Alpine have a chance of that but I think they need not one jump or two probably three jumps of performance to really be able to sort of be in the mix that big regulation reset of last year increased that gap that you're talking about that gap between the top three teams and the rest um, which very often happens with big regulation reset though the well-resourced teams suddenly increase the gap and and, and then the, the other steadily eroded and if you go back to 21 the last season of the old regulations McLaren was sort of in that in the middle of that gap. They on a on a good day they could mix it like a Monza, and then we saw Lando get pole at Sochi back in twenty one. So they were sort of you know they weren't the, in the top three, but they on a good day they were close enough that they, they they could be in the mix. And I think that's all we could hope for one year on from the the regulation reset. And yeah, I agree with Johnny. Alpine's the team that, when you chart their progress, seems to be making the most consistent progress, and just going step by step by step. Everything they do seems to be a little bit better than they had before. McLaren has been a bit up and down, and they had um, the, the, the same fundamental problem and expressed in a slightly different way with the car in the last two seasons. So they have got real question marks about the existing wind tunnel until a new tunnel comes on on stream, which is not. Um, going to play their part in, in, in this car. So there's questions there. The other one, I would be disappointed if it wasn't very much in that mix of, of best of the rest is Aston Martin because they've, 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 got, um, they've invested so much. They've got some very high-profile names there. Um, and, yeah, you could sort of see that last year it was, it was a valid sort of reason that it was a bit too early to put all those people together and see the, the effect straight away. 
Um, but you know they, they'll be running out of excuses if they're if they're not at least in that mix next year. Yeah. Well, we're here here from Fernando. If that is the yeah, I if think that Fernando, is the case, Fernando will point it out for us. Yes. Yeah. But that is a good thing for, for yeah, Aston no, Martin to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Whatever you whatever you think of of Fernando, and we all know he's still he's still got the wow factor when he's when he's in the cockpit. But it's also that drive and push that yeah. he will put the pressure on the team to to produce what he needs, what they need, to be able to start winning races and, and towards a towards a championship. But it's in a similar situation. A lot of investment has gone in, but a lot of that is down the line. That's probably in a couple of years' time yeah. when the wind tunnel, for example, sort of comes online for them. I know they've got that one they use in Brackley. But I think Fernando is an important factor with this, being able to push that team in a in a in a in a good position. And then I think even Lance, I think it's a good thing for Lance to be perfectly honest. You know, I think he did a brilliant job against Sebastian. Whatever you think, you're a Sebastian at the end of his career. He was still there or thereabouts, I think, as far as performance goes. But I think Fernando, we know, is definitely still on top of his game. So, so I think, I think again, that will be a very interesting sort of driver lineup that I think could excite us in 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 in, uh, in in different ways. But I think we've got to see that start of that movement of performance from Aston Martin for sure. So I agree with you, Mark. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right about. I mean, that that driver dynamic will, will be fascinating, and, and and you mentioned pressure there. I mean, I guess all three of those teams that we've just talked about will be under some pressure. I mean, there is massive investment in Aston Martin. All teams are under pressure, um, but particularly maybe Aston. Martin. I mean, Alpine essentially a manufacturer team. You'd expect them to be up there with 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 those with the McLaren have that great history and they've been promising so much. And in Lando, they've got a great driver. So there's a, I guess the excuses will be wearing thin if at the end of this season or if the halfway through this season things aren't coming right for any of those guys Mr. Bowles, um, uh, what do you think he will bring to the team will he be able to finally get Williams away from being uh, at the back of the grid I think what he brings is um, the type of personality that might create um, a bit of unity there and I think that's um, by all accounts that has been lacking there for several seasons um, and it's the, you know, the quite a common story that when things are going badly they begin to go worse and there's in, you know the competition between the departments and within the departments and nobody wants to be part of the failure and everybody thinks it's someone else's fault and all that that, that culture becomes a bit poisonous and over the years I think that's definitely been um, part of Williams's problem and what James has got to do is is stop that and get everybody firing in the, in the, in the same direction and I think he's, he's the sort of personality that, that can do that and um, he's very engaging and very bright um, in terms of engineering input I, you know it's, it's already it's already happened to the cars already you know as he arrives there it's, it's well on the so he, I don't think he's got any will be able to have any input into this season on on that but in, in just just in getting the team firing properly and, uh, and and getting it you know becoming a team again and then and then you can start to do your assessments of right where's the investment needed where are the recruitment's needed where, where do we who do we bring in who do we need to reallocate it all, all those things can come after that but the, the, I think the main thing the first thing the order of priority is has got to be that um, unity that culture yeah, I'd, I'd probably have a small question mark just because of chief strategist. You know, he's he's done a very good job on that. 
the software that he's produced has been you know very beneficial to to Mercedes but a team principal is a very yeah, very different great. world mm. of, of pressure for one expectations suddenly sort of appear on your shoulders where you've really never had that because you've just been a part mm. of the machine at Mercedes but now it's actually down to you and that is where now he's got to prove prove his yeah. worth for sure and I agree with you Mark there's a lot of things that sort of need to be changed at Williams to sort of put him in a much better position so that's choosing the right people like you say but can he do that is that something he's able to do I know it's a team thing as well I know it's not just one person who makes all the decisions but has he got the same character as Toto or or Christian for example he's a, a nice yeah. he comes across as a very nice character I don't know if he's has he got the edge yeah. that edge to sort of be conniving you've got to be conniving <laughs> to be able to to produce the goods so that 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 one's going to be very interesting to watch it's a, it's a good test for him it's a really it's a good, good test. test and it's a massive it, test if you think of him as he's been effectively Toto's right-hand man for quite a while at Mercedes yeah but you always yes exactly under his wing yes it's a bit under his wing that's why that's why I'm saying maybe when when he presented the um, the news to Toto, maybe Toto was thinking, well, actually, that's not a bad. If if he's thinking of succession plans for himself, yeah. um, in that role, yeah. not not as a part owner of the team, I think he'll always be that. But if he's thinking in terms of how do I replace myself as team principal, and he's thinking maybe James, but I don't know about because of all the things that you've just said. Mm. Oh yeah, great. Go on, go on, let's see how, see how he gets on there. And then at least he's got he's yeah. better informed um, when he's making that decision. I, I, I bet that's gone through Toto's mind. Wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised. But it's good. Again, that just makes it again more interesting. We've got what's going to be going on on the track, but we've also got a few little changes, as we know, with with two principals in, in other teams. So there's going to be little stories coming from that. And hopefully with Williams anyway, we all hope. I always hope that they sort of get themselves back into a you know a situation of where they can start challenging and then that motivation will hopefully put them in that what we're talking about earlier on of getting in the getting in the mix with the top three yeah yeah hopefully well I remember uh, Johnny you wrote a very very good column I thought around that appointment and made that exact point about the character and you compared that appointment not entirely favorably with some of the great team bosses that you'd worked under and this idea that you have to be a kind of a force of nature or a um, a, a buccaneering type character to kind of make make those teams work, and it seems that it's maybe indicative of how of how the sport is changing. That you're getting a new generation of of team principals who maybe aren't exactly like they were 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, and I, I hope it works because actually I like the way James puts himself out there, mm. and I do get frustrated sometimes with sort of Christian when we had it all banging on the radio, trying to sort of you know change the the mindset of the of uh, the stewards and everybody else, and Toto as well has got an element of that as well. So it's very different now to what we used to have. A team principal was a team principal and an owner, when now it's, a, it's the middleman yeah. to the board of Mercedes with Toto, for example, or Christian with, with Red Bull as well. So it's a very different thing. It's a little bit of a closed-knit community at Williams. There mm -hmm. isn't that. It is a small team. It's still the Williams of old in many respects. And that probably there's a, a closer link to the position that James is in but of course that only creates more pressure as well. And it's like a premiership soccer mentality now to team principals isn't it? Yes. You, you know because they are <laughs> Started employees. to be that yeah, way yes. yes yes. Whereas before they were owners and if they're if their team and if they didn't yeah. do well so what? They yeah. have to make sure that they did, did better in the future. You, yeah. you, you know um, first time around 
Ron Dennis at McLaren, you know, you know, had disastrous seasons among great seasons, but it was never questioned, no. you know, that, that he would continue to be leading the team. Of course it was his yeah. team. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it's sure. not that dynamic. No, it's not really. No. no, you know, Sir Frank and, and Patrick went through yeah. the same thing. There were some good days and there were some bad days. Yeah. Enzo Ferrari had some good yeah. days and some bad days as well. So it's, it's part and parcel of the, of the sport. Do you think, uh, just finally on Williams, do you think that the... Uh, that appointment says anything about how the owners, Doralton, what their plans are for the team, how they, there was talk at one point of them coming in and, and selling the team on. I mean, that looks more, maybe more unlikely now. I mean, does it give any hint as to what, what their plans are or what their long-term, medium-term medium -term planning is? Well, it, the fact that they made changes suggests that they're not looking at an imminent sale um, because, it, you know, the, the, just having the existence of a team at the moment it, it, I mean, it is, very, it is a very valuable asset and I'm sure they could have sold on for a considerable profit if, if it was just a case of buying the team to flip it as it were they would have done so by now um, and the fact that they've run the changes suggests that they do want to make to see the team make progress and then of course it becomes more valuable as well. um, so it might be an investment decision as well so um, as well as a sporting one but, uh, yeah. but they've made a good decision personally with Logan Sargent mm -hmm. as well an American everything's been going very well obviously after what we've had with with Netflix and everything else so I've w watched him in his Formula 3 Formula 3 days and he's, he's progressed very very well and he, he's in the right type of team to sort of maybe show what it's what it, you know what he's all about, but of course then you've got Alex Albon at the same time, who I like, and I think he's got a nice way about him. He's a good racer at the same time, you know. Yeah, we want to see a little bit more performance probably from him at the end of the day. But I think Logan may be that type of character on the on the circuit that will be able to push Alex. And it's and that's always as I always go back to. It's always pushing each other, and they normally get the, you get the best out of it. But I think Logan was a good a good choice. Who's the guy that pushed you the most? Uh, probably well, to, well, Michael, but it was a very different sort of situation. But Mika, yeah, Mika was something when you had very, equal opportunity. Yeah, very rare. Well, as you remember, with Mika, when we used to early days, we used to discuss what was happening on the track. Oh, I did this line, or I tried that line. That was a little bit different. Shifted a bit differently here. Short shift. Blah blah blah. And then there was a point. I think Keki went, "Oi, Mika, <laughs> stop talking." <laughs> <laughs> and the relationship sort of changed on that point. But that's yeah. part and parcel of. Of being a of being a driver, you know, you're always going to have a good relationship, but you've got to be selfish at the same time, and it's yeah. it's always always this thing. Of, it's a team thing, but as a driver, you're still it's still you're still on your own trying to produce what you need. So there is a team element, but there is a selfishness that you need to be a, a driver that you can achieve. And I think Fernando is one of those strong characters that shows exactly that. So, well, that leads us nicely into, into drivers, and I just want to bring James in here and ask, James, three rookies this season, who are you looking forward to seeing the most? Uh, well, let me read. The big question mark is over Oscar Piastri in one sense because he's rocketed through the junior series, you know, looked like the, you know, the new prodigy of this generation, then had a year out, done a kind of sideways shift to a, a team that's at a similar level to Alpine. So it'd be interesting to see whether that, you know, incredible you know uh prodigious form car carries on into uh 2023 and how he how he uh measures up against lando norris who just saw off daniel ricardo with ease uh, uh you know well not with ease but appear appeared easy from the outside but with a, apparently a, a difficult cast drive so 
that'll be interesting to see. And then also but Nick, Nick DeVries as well, so impressive in everything he's done. Um, you know, it had to, had to swallow being dropped as a, as a McLaren junior. Um, went to Mercedes, Formula E champion there. So again, it'd be interesting to see if, you know, again, great form and other series translates into race, racing for Alfa Toro uh, at the back of the grid. And Johnny, I suppose, same question to you. What, what do you, you mentioned Logan. I mean, who else kind of excites you um, uh, out of those, the three new guys? Well, again, Nick is always someone who's, you know, come through in a very, very quick way. It's the same situation with Piastri as well. They've got nice elements of the skill, the skill set that you need to be able to drive a Formula One car. The problem comes, I think, sometime. We've seen this in various situations where someone might jump into it. Do Pierre, horrible to use names, but use Pierre when he jumped into the Red Bull. The pressures that suddenly become on come on your shoulders take away that sort of raw ability that you have because you're having to deal with things that you never expected to happen and then you've got a teammate that every time you think that was a good lap you look up at the at the at the screen and you go I'm still one and a half seconds off or a second off or a half a second off whatever it may be that is going to be the difficult thing for them because in Formula E or in F2 it's a very very sort of um, stress-free uh, uh, place to be and you can absolutely do the job that you need to do. Formula One is a very, very different world and that is where I'm going to have to see their, their strength, strength shine through. Experience is one thing, raw pace is another, but being able to absorb all the pressure that would be on you from the team, from the media and everybody else is a very, very hard thing. And some, some people can deal with it, some can't, but they're in the right teams, I have to say. I think some of you know, McLaren is very good, Alpha Tower is nice as well. Williams have the same sort of vibe about them, so that is where hopefully they'll be able to sort of show us what they've got. It's really interesting. How, how many races does it can it take to settle down? Do some drivers get it immediately, or does it how long would you give the, give the guys to deal with those pressures? You know? it's, in the world we live in, I think it's got to happen immediately because <laughs> if it doesn't you start getting all the criticism and then once the criticism starts you start hearing about the criticism it then sort of sort of affects what's happening in the cockpit at the same time and you've you've got to jump in there and just go bang and do it you know you do Mick Schumacher you know he came in he, he was given a bit of a chance and it didn't quite work out for him there was all the pressures of dad Michael there was all the pressures of the Schumacher name and it didn't quite work out for them. Was he good enough? He was good enough, but he wasn't good enough all the time. Because doing one good race is pretty pretty sort of easy. Doing two good races is, is pretty much not a problem. It's doing it every single time you go out. And that's the expectations the teams have on you. So it's not a simple thing. But the ones who have that sort of raw talent are normally able to to deal with the pressures that they're, they're under. You know, Alex Albon with Williams, the same thing there with, with uh, Logan. Um, he's had to, he had a good sort of younger formulas, karting and all the way through to F2. And then it, it sort of, he had that short little time. Um, but he got into the Red Bull and it didn't work out for him. But he's done better since he's dropped out of it. But has he dropped better because of those pressures are less? That's, that's where the, the, the strengths start to shine through so to me it's got to happen very very i think very very quickly because then you're just showing that you've got something something a little bit special yeah there's a sort of spiral in energy with young drivers and uh, you can 
it, if it's going upwards, you can sort of ride the wave and, and you, you, you create good performances because you're on that wave, which creates more, up, 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 but it, it can go the spiral downwards as well. And, and that's, that's the, tr the, the tricky bit. And if you look at um, Oscar, he, he's riding that wave. He's ridden that wave all through his career. Um, and he's now arriving at a really, really tough gig because he's going to be measured against Landon Norris, who I think is operating at absolute elite level now. I think you know he's, he would be fighting for a world championship if he were in the right car. And you're going straight up against that and being measured against that as a rookie. And although that's, I, I believe, the, the level that Lando is operating at, it's not the general perception because he hasn't done it yet. So you're being measured against someone that's not rated maybe as highly as his real performance is, and you're a rookie. So that's, for Lando, for Oscar, he's got to really try and keep that momentum going and do enough to, to he's, he's basically he's, he's got to give Lando a hard time yeah. and that in your rookie season that's not a given no, no matter how good you are um, so that's, that's his um, thing uh, with, with Nick he, he, he took I mean a big thing of it is, is grabbing opportunities when they're thrown Absolutely. in front of you yeah. and he did a brilliant job standing for Alex at, at Monza and that, that created this opportunity and the, you know the one opportunity has created another one, and he's got to try now to do as good a job with that opportunity as he did with the previous one. And uh, you know, measured over a season, and you know, again, you mentioned against your teammate Yuki. You know, his reputation's not that high, but I think last year he was he was beginning to operate at a pretty pretty good consistent level. Um, Pierre Gasly didn't annihilate him last year; it was quite close in performance between the two. So you're not, you're not not necessarily an easy easy gig either. So no. No. Um, no, Yuki was just basically was consistency. Yeah. That was his probably his biggest yeah. biggest issue. But that's something you can capitalise on as a teammate. Yeah. And then once you get on top of him, you then control him yeah. at the same time. So there's all those little mind battles that you've got to to deal with as the, well. Then the team starts to merge and towards you, you and then exactly. you get and the then they attention all this energy and then it starts spiring exactly. up. Exactly. But it, yeah, as I say, it can be the other <laughs> way, just Very as easily. Quickly. Yes, exactly, um, yeah. And Logan, I guess he's got a little bit more time to establish his credibility. He's, he's you know, he's, he's come in absolutely as a, as a, as a rookie uh, with not as much expected of him and not as much expected of the team, but again, you know he's, he's got a he's got a pretty high standard to measure up to in his teammate Alex as well. So yeah, yeah, they're, they're all very tough gigs, but it should be tough, and it's it's, it's supposed to be tough. It's it's, it's, the, it's the it's the top level of the sport, you know. Yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Um, and what about um, uh, Lewis and Lewis and George, and, and how do you see that relationship playing out? I thought, I thought it was one of the sort of intriguing subplots of, of last year, and how how those guys um, work together, and, and uh, how do you see that sort of playing out over the over the next twelve months? I'll say it's going to be tough, I think, for for Lewis, but it's also going to be tough for George as well. And the one who's probably, I think, is in the the better situation at the moment is George, because George had such a good season last year. You know, he put Lewis under a lot of a lot of pressure, a lot of probably head-scratching going on as well, because his performances were, were good. Not just he could do a one-lap, and then it was all a bit sort of average or whatever, Joe Average, when it comes to a race. It, put, it was good in qualifying, and it was brilliant when it came down to a race at the same time. You, you can't rule out Lewis. Lewis, is, it's not as if he's sort of, he's finished. No, he's not. He's still hungry. I think the eight is still an important thing for him to be able to achieve. Mercedes have got to give them both both the cars. But that dynamic with those two, I have to say, is probably, I think, the most exciting pairing that we've got yeah. in Formula One at the moment. And there is going to be a crossover. There is going to be when George eventually will start to control what's going on, which then will be, well, Mercedes will know that's our future. And that dynamic is going to be brilliant. But Lewis is not going to give it up. That is for sure, and I think that is going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's they, they, their seasons in comparison to each other went in phases last year, didn't they? Where um, Lewis was a little bit slow off the blocks, and, and George was quick. And then it, it, there's they, as Lewis sort of get, the, the realized where the car needed to be run, and then give up on trying to unlock the potential that yeah. the wind tunnel said was there, but which was always a mirage. Um, once once he got his head around that, then he became quicker, and George had a few, you know, difficult races, and then George regrouped after his his little incident at Austin at Turn One, and he came back strong again. So I think they're both incredible drivers, and yeah, I think whenever you compare, if if someone is of of that caliber, equal caliber, say in, in in just the basic raw ability, and he's the younger guy, yeah, over time. Obviously, he, he will be the one that prevails, but he might not be of quite of that calibre, and so we, that's the, 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 last, the last little bit there. The last little bit, yeah. Um, and it, it, it also, from Lewis's perspective, even though he will know that eventually the skills will begin to dim, yeah. it doesn't have to be now, does it? No, it could be not. five years down the Absolutely. line. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it could sure. be many, many yes. more wins yeah. and championships yeah. in them yet but so, his, his worry will be George is only going to get yes, stronger exactly that's yeah. the thing and he's yeah. only going to get stronger yeah as you said a bit of a mixed bag yeah. during the season Brazil mm-hmm. now that was a game changer for him mentally yeah. everything that sort of the, you feel when you're a driver yeah. that is suddenly going to put you on another level and that level I think will be carried through and to have Lewis right year. on your exhaust pipe for the, for the last however many laps and deal was. with it yeah. and deal with I, it and you just didn't put a foot yeah. that was yeah. very next time impressive. that happens I don't think you'll be 
be that close, Lewis. The other interesting dynamic, and sorry if this is jump into a question that you're about to ask, Joe, is Max and Lewis. We saw mm. the, the you know the instant he gets a car that's competitive with a Red Bull, they, they crash again. We're back to twenty one. So for George, that's quite interesting. If that's going to be the if that dynamic is just locked in between those two, because neither will give up anything to the other one. Yeah. George, that, that's very interesting to George, isn't it? Yeah. If, if the car's competitive, because yeah. he can just sit there and watch. Yeah, yeah, again, it yeah. capitalises <laughs> on that. Yeah, but it capitalises on it. Yeah. And that's yeah. the whole thing about being up against your teammate. Because Max well, doesn't get into these scripts with other drivers. Lewis doesn't get into these well, scripts. A, well, it's an drivers. interesting one. Is it, and there always is this why. Mm-hmm. And then I can probably go back to. Uh, Felipe Massa mm-hmm. and Lewis. Yeah, I mean he and was they he was all over the place. This, and they were doing yeah. the same thing. Yeah. They were crashing yeah. into each, yeah. each other there. But they they were similar. Sort of Felipe and, and Max in some ways are very similar characters. And and I always get annoyed with the rules of who's up the inside where you're not ahead, so it's not your corner, but you can't turn right because there's a car there. But that doesn't seem to be the case with the rule because the rule says you're still ahead. That's not racing as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, but Felipe and Max. And with racing against Lewis, they have the same sort of mindset. They never give up. But there are occasions sometimes, if we, if, if we, if we do it going into this season where it's Max and Lewis and they're fighting it all out, they've got to be smart. And there have been occasions, I think, where that smartness hasn't, hasn't come out and they're probably going to lose out if... Ferrari. Yeah, if you've got a Charles Leclerc sitting there or you've got a exactly. George sitting there. Then you've yeah. got to be smart. Exactly. Then yeah. you can't yeah. get involved. And there are those occasions yeah. where sometimes they, they shouldn't have done. They got away with it because each of them sort of, or Max sort of benefited, I suppose, down the line. But that's racing. You know, he benefited. But it's, it, that's the way it, it's sort of the cookie crumble sometimes. But that's what's great for us because it is not going to be easy for anybody else. And if George suddenly sort of be, is the, the next guy, how's that relationship? going to be with Max as well and it's all nice that you know Max is saying oh, I really enjoy racing with Charles and everything else but they're completely different characters mm-hmm. but that's where he feels he can control what Charles does on yeah. the racetrack yeah. so it's again it's this wonderful sort of mental battle that we saw with Senna and Prost for example you know and, and Mansell and Piquet you know we've seen so many of those or Michael and, and, and Damon you know it's it's brilliant to see that these guys will be tested there's an element of sort of being a little bit smart and not getting yourself in a position that actually you could have avoided. You know, if we do Silverstone, if Max had sort of sort of given up that uh, cop's corner incident that we saw, it wouldn't have gone to Abu Dhabi anyway. Yeah. Jess, for example. So it's little, little things like that. But I love what Max does in a, in a race car. Love it. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's fascinating, as you say, the, these little subplots as they, as they play out. Um, what do you think kind of brings out that those characteristics specifically between Max and Lewis that you mentioned about what, what kind of it seems that they act differently together than they do against other drivers and what do you think drives that I think um, Max sees Lewis as, as you know the the, the target he, he's the, the one with the the reputation when, when he came in I remember when Max was asked when he in his rookie season did he think Lewis was the the best driver, you know, because he, he was winning this sequence of choice. I don't know, give me his car, I'll tell you. And it was, you know, he was totally confident he could take Lewis on right there, right then, you know, <laughs> whether he could or not, you know, that, 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 that's his belief. And so, you know, the, the, he spent all those seasons in a car 
where he couldn't prove that, and 21, he finally gets the car. And so obviously, you know, you're not you're not going to be thinking, I'm just going to race this guy like any like he's anyone else. It, it, he is he is still of a certain stature, and and I think that's part of it. Lewis identified Max very early as the one, and I think you did a thing in car with Lewis at um, Austin, yeah. and you were saying, right, imagine you've got Max up your exhaust pipe, what do you do here? And he said, well, that's the thing with Max, you don't know, yes. you don't yes. know what yeah, to do, because right. yeah. you, you can't predict what he's going to do, no, 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 no. and it's already in his head, <laughs> yeah, Max is in his head. Yeah. So that's you know that that's a fascinating yeah. dynamic, yeah. and that's how it should be. That's exactly what racing drivers should be yeah. trying to trying to do is yeah. put your put yourself in their head, sort yeah. of destroy them. The, yeah. the the lovely thing I think with Max as well, we got to remember, is he's getting better and better. We go back two years with the with the incident that we had during that sort of uh, that season. He's way more mature now. Mm. Way he's matured so quickly. Even last year, yeah, that's what I mean. So quickly that is going to make him yeah, a total yeah. different, yeah. different challenge for everybody else. Well, that's a, that's a good point, Matt. How much better can Max get? Sadly, still a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of room for improvement. A lot of yeah, room. He's, he's from all off, angles. He's smoothed off a lot of the rough edges, and there's still there's still areas to. And he's still massively motivated to, to do it. And when you look at the hours, just for example, the hours he spends on a sim, it's just unreal. And he doesn't consider that, you know, that's, just, that's his pastime. Yeah. You know, that's he, but hugely motivated to be as good as the best sim races. And it's the same process. It's the same process that he, you know, used different skills or slightly, some overlapping, but not quite the same skills. But he still wants to be the best at that. And he's made massive progress at that. So, you know, he's still incredibly, incredibly motivated. And I don't think we've seen, you know, we've seen no. the limit yet. No, definitely not. I think perfection hasn't quite mm. happened yet for him in, in his head. But I do remember Alan Pross, multiple world champion, saying even if in his last race he was still learning. So mm. I think that says that says it all. So there's a lot to come from that. Right, it's, a, it's a frightening thought. Um, it's a good <laughs> thought. Dominance it's a good last thought. season, yeah. Um, and, and just finally on drivers, I know we've um, we've, we've mentioned uh, we've mentioned Alonso, but um, obviously big fans of his. And, and, and what do you think he's going to bring to Aston Martin, um, uh, and that will help move the team forward? And, and what will he get out of Aston, I suppose? Well, that energy that Johnny was talking about before is the, a, a big thing, um, and just you know we we know what he can do in the cockpit. It's it's you know he's, he's still absolutely at the elite level and. Uh, just when, when you saw that lap he did put himself on the front row at, in the wet at Montreal it, it was sort of confirmation of that but he's done some fantastic races in, in his comeback seasons um, so that you can tick, tick that box that's the performance it's, it's, it's obviously a given um, but it's, it's that energy it's, it's, it's that you know he's impatient for um, you know, the weaknesses he, he won't he won't tolerate uh, you know if he sees something that, that should be d- being done better he won't just let it go um you know, it's going to be like a dog with a bone and uh, the team also know this and understand it and, and that brings a different dynamic to, to everything um and, you know it puts a bit of urgency in the team i think um which i think probably requires yeah but it's quite fitting i think 
the position he's going to be yeah. in. I know we Lawrence. Lawrence is a is a petrol head. He wants this to work. He wants it to be challenging for race wins and then ultimately that world championship. And that sort of mentality that uh, Fernando has got is only going to aid Lawrence's drive to make sure he implements all the right things within the framework of that new factory that's being built at the present time. And then once that sort of hits the ground fully working, it hopefully, I'm sure, for both of them is going to be a, a mighty interesting journey for us to be watching. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, can't wait. Um, now, we mentioned, we mentioned earlier um, record-breaking 23 race season. Um, it was going to be 24 uh, until um, uh, China dropped out. Now, James, w w is there any race you're particularly looking forward to seeing? Um, uh, I'm thinking maybe the American races or, uh, or well, uh, anyone that you're particularly looking forward to. Uh, well, I really feel like Las Vegas is, is going to be the announcement that F1 has finally arrived in the US. We've had it you know, several times over Austin, Miami, but running down the strip, taking over you know, one of the most iconic cities in the world, is a, it's a thing that's been envisaged happening maybe in New York, maybe in London with that demonstration, which is now nearly 20 years ago. But actually, actually happening for real is going to be, is going to be the real confirmation that you know, F1 has taken over uh, to a certain degree. You know the main the the main start finish straight actually being on the strip is, is going to be a spectacle which which will become instantly iconic. So I think that's that's kind of you know the, the one that really really stands out for me. And I, I guess as well it, it, it'd, it'd be interesting to see what happens at places like Saudi Arabia. There's now you know there's still lots of talk about racing in certain parts of the Middle East and whether that will die down or actually. You know whether these arguments will will kind of fade away or or get bigger. You worry there was like missile attack last time, and you wonder whether these these kind of issues are just going to kind of like snowball and get get bigger and bigger as we, we as we go along. And actually, we'll stop even talking about the racing at, at, at certain points. But but yeah, those 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 are the kind of the, the yeah Las Vegas and kind of and the talking points of Saudi are the, the ones that. Um, stick out to me. I don't know about, about Mark and Johnny, which ones yeah. for them? Well, Vegas, yes, of course. It's Las Vegas. Uh, but the race has got to work as well. It can't be just being Las Vegas and then it's just follow my leader. You know, there's got to be an entertainment factor to it. I think we all want that anyway. It doesn't matter what race we go to. That's a little bit like the sprint races. They don't always work out perfectly. But the entertainment sometimes crosses over to Sunday. So that sort of works out. But yeah, Vegas is one thing. The Saudi thing, uh, you know, personally, I think it's something I hope it sort of continues. I think it's a good thing that we're there to help the whole process uh, that of change down the line. Um, but I was like Baku. Baku is something if we can get these teams to fight it out, that seems to be the one that sparks something extra special. So Baku is always one I, I look forward to. But I hope it works in, in Vegas for sure. Yeah, I mean... We've, at Vegas in 81 and 82, uh, and it was a wet squib. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, the track, as you say, the, the race has got to work, the track is just rubbish. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Vegas is yeah, emblematic, really, the, the rise and rise of F1, you know, in the Netflix era. Um, how long that can keep expanding is, is uh, an interesting point. Um, and also, uh, where it where it takes F1, not, not just geographically and, and, and politically, but just in the, the the way that it 
presents itself. You know, part of the core appeal of F1 has always been it's been a bit, bit sort of rebellious against the normal world. It's 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 a different part of of, of the world and doesn't necessarily traditionally encompass the same values and and mores, but. If you've gotten something that is so commercially successful that it, you run the risk of it becoming bland, especially if you're telling drivers what they can and can't say, which is you, we're starting to get into that territory now with the FIAs, and you know it's got to be a free-spirited thing, otherwise you're in danger of losing its core appeal. And um, I think that's, that's where they've got to be very careful as they're expanding, because they might be expanding too quick to keep that core. So it's a really interesting point, and actually, that may well become that theme of of the of the season as it plays on. Is well, is may as Formula One moves into the mainstream, does it lose something of its of its soul, if you like, or if something that made it different? Arguably, it lost its soul a while ago. But I mean, if you can, it, did it lose something that made it different to other great sporting events uh, and, and series that were around? Well, I think um, we're, we're in a better position now because. If I go back to when I was when I was there in the 90s, and I look back at what happened in the 80s, you know the domination was huge, mm. huge seconds between front and back, and sometimes it went into double digits now and again as Remember, well. Remember, 92. If you were two seconds off the pace, you're on the second row of the grid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I remember <laughs> when I had the 107 when we came. We took the 107 to Monaco after the 102, and I was sixth, but I was still three seconds off of Nigel. Yeah. I was sixth. <laughs> and I think there was a Hockenheim race, I believe. I, think, I can't think it was Renio who was on pole, something like that. And it was about 12 seconds to the guy at the back. Yeah. So from a from the perspective of how close it's become, the the exciting, I think, the exciting last couple of years that we've had of these battles, that is only going to be a positive thing. Yes, it's Vegas. Yes, we're in Miami. We're spreading around around the rest of the world as well. But the and that's why I go back to the entertainment. Is, is, is a very positive thing. And I know there's a lot of talk of what they're going to be doing for 2026, for example. And why, what are they trying to achieve for 2026, as they tried to do for last year, is make the racing better. So if we make the racing better, the whole thing benefits from it. So it doesn't matter if you sort of go to more and more races and sort of dilute it in a way. If the entertainment works and the cars work and they can race together, then I think we're in a win-win. And I remember, Johnny, you and I spoke fairly recently about uh, the British Grand Prix I think it was and the demographic and the atmosphere at Silverstone and how different that was now than it had been maybe in previous years with maybe a young younger people boyfriends girlfriends uh, families there um, it was a different type of feeling which maybe was the uh, uh, um, you know showing this this move to the mainstream that Mark was talking about and this idea that it's, it's broadening its appeal, uh, which has is, is got to be a good thing. Yeah, I think so. Well, I think on TV, I remember, wasn't it? it was an average age was about 50, wasn't it? 45, 50, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And that is changing. And I, and I see it visually when I go to Silverstone, as, as you brought up. Is that not up. just us getting older? There's an element of that, Mark. I have to say, <laughs> I have to say, yes, yes, yeah. The gap, the gap's getting bigger, isn't it? Yes, exactly. But, but it's depressing when you say it that way. Um, but it's 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 a positive thing, and uh, I think I've said before in in other conversations I've had, the only place, the only country I ever saw this generation sort of coming back to the races with their kids was Japan. It was the only mm, place I ever yeah. used to see that. That I remember when I raced there, it was the father bringing their, their kids along. And then when I was doing my stuff on TV, it was 
those kids bringing their kids yeah. along. And I didn't see that anywhere else until I saw it at Silverstone over the last couple of years. And even at the, the auto sports show that I it's exactly the same thing. So that is a very positive thing for us because we are finally bringing in this young generation that's engaging with the likes of Lando, for mm -hmm. example. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant that what Lando can achieve on social media draws in these young youngsters to it and it's great your, your following in Japan has stayed like, you still got following in Japan haven't I you? have it's, yes it's yeah, I've still got my yeah, my Japanese wife who turns yes. up every, <laughs> every, every, Grand, every Grand Prix that I go, I go to but, but that's, that's a big part of it is where you can, you can engage with the drivers for one you sort of you can sort of uh, understand what they're doing on social media exactly, which then sort of draws you in even closer. Then it draws you to the racing at the same time. And I think that's what Formula One has been able to do over the last sort of, you know, five years, I suppose, is, is, is make it more interesting from people. And the Netflix thing is, 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 the, is the prime example of that. You know, I think, bless you, Bernie, but I don't think it would have happened. If, if, if he was still here now and I think that's just where things move on and it's, it's having all these different ideas to be able to, to make the sport competitive because it's not like it was in the 70s or 80s or even the 90s you know, there is more competition from so many other sports that are entertaining and we've got to make Formula 1 entertaining as well and it has become much more so 100% and uh, I'm just picking up on that um, competitive um, uh, uh, theme, um, Mark. The, the, obviously, the second year this this year with the second year the new, the new regulations. First year with Ben. Are we expecting the racing to get closer? Um, and does it have to in order to prove the right or wrongness of the rule changes as they came in? Is that going to be an important thing that um, that Liberty, that the F1, are going to be looking at? I think that aspect's still a work in progress. I think the racing was better under these regs than the end of the previous. Um, they could follow each other closely um, for longer. Um, it requires, I think, as a next step, um, something to be done with the tyres, further development of the tyres, which Pirelli are addressing. Um, ultimately, it's still a, a tyre-limited thing. You, you can race for so long longer than before but it's still the the limiting factor will tend to be tires it's some circuits it's brakes but brake temperatures but usually it's tire temperatures you're usually having to drive to the tire temperature after a while um so yeah that's still a work in progress i think um there's there's no reason to suppose that it, it it's um it's going to go backwards this year i think it'll it'll be in, in racing terms much the same although in, in competitive terms it, yeah, we, we, as we talked about a while ago, we would really need to see that that gap between the top three and the others close a little bit to sort of randomise it in an interesting way at, at different tracks. But um, it should be close, shouldn't it? Yeah, it, on, in the second year it should be because um, you know they everybody has got a pretty good handle on why they couldn't improve yeah. any further last year, and they understood you know the, the aerodynamic reasons and etc. So. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, I think it'll, it, it'll, it should be better. And I think last year was already an improvement. Yeah. And have there been any significant technical changes for this season over over last season? Um, uh, I know that there was, there was 
Am I right in saying that the, the, the tire, the qualifying, there'll be differences in tire use over certain races for, um, for, for qualifying? Yeah, um, the most significant change is the raising of the, the floor at the head of the rear tyre and the, the, um, the throat height of the, 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 the diffuser in, in the, the, the Venturi channels, which is just to, has been done to make them a little bit less sensitive to the, the bouncing and the porpoising we saw last year. Um, but the teams are still going to try, be trying to run them as close as they can to the, where you get the onset of that. It's just going to make them a little bit less sensitive. Um, I don't think that's going to make a radical difference, to be honest. No, but that sort of reduced actually in the yeah, end of last season. It had, it? Yeah, it was to well, be honest, well everybody generally yeah. inside is still in trouble. It's, it's there, but to, there's <laughs> performance there to be had. In, in, in yes. When you look at a wind tunnel, it's very, very tempting. So they'll, they'll, they'll keep trying to get there and then they'll find that, yeah. all right, how do we get around the bouncing there? And then they'll find a different way of doing it. And, and this is sort of, this, this minor change has sort of thrown that up into the air a little bit. But I'd be amazed if we got anybody with. Fundamental, that sort of fundamental problem, even by the first the first race. Yeah, I think definitely so. And I think with that, it's only going to make the racing that little bit closer, even if we've still only got the top three, because I think they will still be able to push each other uh, closer than what we saw last year, as in following following the car in front. And I think that would just make the racing that little bit better. And the overtakes that we had last year, you know, it was lovely to see drivers enjoying themselves. To be honest, so I think that's something that's only going to going to better benefit us. So yeah, looking for looking forward to it because we have that chance of the top three mixing it together, and then hopefully and potentially someone else just maybe get on the back of that and sort of trying to capitalise on maybe some strategy mistakes, for example. So great, and um, I suppose finally, um, uh, chances of Max winning again. I mean, do, are you willing to put your name, uh, your, 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 your names to this? Um, yeah, hi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a number. Um, I don't think he will be as dominant as last no, year. I agree. Um, but yeah, he absolutely still starts as favourite for, for yeah, me. Yeah, no, I think so. And again, I hope, I hope Mercedes have actually been able to sort out the issues that they had. Uh, last year because when we went to Brazil okay yes it was at altitude a little bit but they they have a car that has got what it takes to take it to Red Bull but it's been able to use it when we do go to altitude but actually when we come back down to sea level and that seems to be the their biggest problem that they had so let's hope that happens and then we've got to throw Ferrari in the mix at the same time like we said before so the, the ingredients are there to make it more difficult for Max but will actually he enjoy that? Yeah, yes he will. And that's good because I think that challenge from all those other other drivers is going to be something he's going to be absolutely sort of hoping is going to happen to, honest. Well, the ingredients are there. Um, gents, thank you very much indeed. Um, uh, and thank you uh, for listening. And remember, you can read more of, of Johnny and, and Mark and James um, uh, in the... Um, uh, motorsport magazine um, on sale at all good news agents and via our website and you can read updates um, via our website um, uh, as well as the season progresses we're all looking forward to it and uh, we hope you are too thanks very much
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.